This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like the show and think we deserve a five-star rating, and obviously we do, rate us and post a review. Also, although our main purpose in life is to entertain you, producing this show costs actual money, so please help out by going to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried and pledging your support to receive all sorts of goodies, merchandise, personalized roast, and shout-outs, advanced access to episodes, or personal messages from me, Gilbert Gottfried. And if we raise enough, maybe... I can finally get a new co-host. I'm thinking of the Scarlett Johansson robot. Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is an actor, director, playwright, and composer who's been working steadily in films and television for five decades, sharing the screen with Everyone from Julie Andrews to Charles Bronson to the Olsen twins. Movies include Kelly's Heroes, Death Wish, The Stone Killer, Future World, Class, Days of Heaven, Arbitrage, Blake Edwards' SOB and A Fine Mess. He's appeared in dozens of beloved TV shows such as... Gunsmoke, The Fugitive, The Monkeys, Bewitched, The Partridge Family, MASH, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Rhoda, Hill Street Blues, and 30 Rock. And he was a featured player on a favorite show of Frank's and mine, Love, Love American, American Style. style. <laughs> you, you bet. Br- brighter than the red, white, and blue hoo-hoo. <laughs> 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 he 
was also directed memorable films and TV movies, including A Shining Season, The Long Summer of George Adams and the Glitter Dome, as well as episodes of The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Wonder Woman, The Love Boat, Heart to Heart, Quantum Leap, and Northern Exposure for which he won a Directors Guild Award for Best Direction. But he's perhaps best known for his Emmy-winning portrayal of Jim Rockert's former jailmate, Angel Martin, on the classic series The Rockford Files, starring longtime friend James Garner. Please welcome to the show a man who appeared in Two of this podcast, Strange Obsessions, The Big Bus and Lanigan's Rabbi, (laughs) (laughs) the multi-talented Stuart Margolin. Hey, that was a walk down memory lane, Mike. (laughs) I'll bet. Now, now, if if you had done nothing else in your career, Stuart, I I would want you on the show just because. In Death Wish, one of my favorite movies, you're the guy who gives Paul Kersey the gun that he mows down all the muggers with. (laughs) Including Jeff Goldblum, right? Yes. And not just Jeff Goldblum, but Denzel Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, yeah. Right. It was interesting. We made that movie, and then it came out. It was playing some opening in some theater, and... Uh, Westwood, and so I went over to see it. We're excited about hey, this, and I, I happen to be upstairs, and there's a guy on the phone, and he's going, I want this pulled from every theater in the United States. <laughs> 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 it was the critic for the LA Times, Charles Champlin, who was a, a hell of a good writer, but I thought, oh my God. So, and a powerful critic. Yeah, but it didn't. Uh, that turned out to be that year Paramount's number one box office hit. Actually, beat the longest yard. Yeah. Al Ruddy always used to tell me that you beat us. I I I always said like with Death Wish, unless you were in the movie theater when that movie came out, you you didn't see Death Wish. It was an experience with a crowd. You everyone went nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Even even in uh, Westwood, it was pretty wild. And what was Charles Bronson like? He's one of my favorites. Uh, interesting. Uh, kept to himself. That was the second film I'd done with him. Uh, I had done a film before called Stone Killer. Um, same director, yeah, Michael, Michael Winter. Winter, yeah. And uh, which I played kind of a, like a, a hitman, uh, a soldier, ex-Vietnam. A little bit like the guy from the massacre, whose name, fortunately, I forgot. But uh, at any rate, so then we do Death Wish, and we shot for maybe five days, scenes together, this, that, and the other thing. And I go to the airport to fly home, and he walked in and introduced himself. That's the first time we ever met. We'd done about 25 scenes in two movies, and had never been introduced. The man who started out as, what was it, Charles Buczynski? Oh, Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Gilbert and I remember him. We talk about him in House of Wax with Vincent Price. Oh, I think he was still Baczynski. He was still Baczynski. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Well, he, 
when 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 he introduced himself, I thought this is a little crazy. But hey, how do you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he said the second thing he said to me, God's truth is, he said, you know, I grew up wearing a dress, and uh, what he what he was referring to, he had grown up in the coal mining country in Pennsylvania. I uh, think they, they didn't have money to buy all their kids' clothes, so he wore hand me down stuff. So I thought that's fascinating. So I got on the plane, and the publicist happened to be on the plane, and I told him that story. And he said he were, he said, yeah, he tells everybody that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember reading about that. That's interesting. That Bronson would sometimes go to school in a dress because that's the only clothes they had for him. Yeah, yeah. Since we're talking about uh, classic movies, uh, Stuart, just to start off, and uh, we, we told some fans on Facebook that we were going to have you on, and some people were excited about it, and they said, please ask him about Little Joe and Kelly's Heroes. Well, um, it was a terrific part. Uh, we were in Yugoslavia for a little over six months, uh, spent the first three months in Serbia, then moved to the coast, uh, northern uh, Yugoslavia called Istria, right near the Italian border. Uh, I had done a film, curiously enough, the year before in Yugoslavia with the Yugoslav crew, so I knew a lot of the crew uh, that worked on it, which was great because I got to know them and I, I could order beer, you know. So uh, uh, it was a wild, uh, a wild time. If all those actors, we were staying in a when we first started on a place on the Danube called the Veradin Hotel, which had been a castle that had repulsed the Turks back in, the, I believe, the 12th century. And uh, there's fascinating history up there. And across the river, which was the Danube from the hotel, was a town called Novisad. And in the middle of the river was a bridge that had been blown up, but they left it there to remind everybody what the Nazis had done. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was uh, a lot of history there, and uh, and Kelly's heroes. <laughs> and can you tell us the cast of Kelly's heroes? Great cast, whole cast. Well, obviously Clint, Don Sutherland, Kelly Savalas, um, Mr. Rickles. Rickles. Yeah. Uh, Rickles would sit in the dining room every night, and as he walked in, he would lay lay you open. <laughs> so he was insulting everybody. Everybody walked into the dining room every night, every whether it was breakfast or dinner, and uh, and I remember I, my wife visited the set. My wife at the time, and uh, he said, "Oh, Stuart, whoa, man, I see what you mean." <laughs> That's great. He so, so he loved teasing Telly all the time. So basically, with Don Rickles there, it was like seeing Don Rickles on stage every night. Every day. Yeah, every day. (laughs) Another actor in Kelly's Heroes worth mentioning, too, who became famous on TV in the 90s is Len Lesser, who played Uncle Leo on Seinfeld. Oh, my God, yes. Also, uh, man, I'm just going blank, forgive me. Uh, All in the Family. Um, Dad. Carol oh, O'Connor. O'Connor's in it, of course. Yeah, right. right, right. How could we forget him? Uh, tons of people like that that were in the film. And uh, not everybody was there the whole time. It was like we were never going to leave. It was like, keep shooting. And then I think one day Clint said, I'm going home tomorrow. And that was the end of the movie. 
<laughs> and what was Clint like? He, you know, he kept himself quiet, a gentleman, uh, friendly enough. But he was, you know, already a big star, and he he had uh, he kept he kept quiet. One funny thing is he had a. Uh, when we moved to the West Coast, as I guess you go to the West Coast, it was in Istria, which had formerly been Italian territory, but there was a beach. And there were some even in, and Tito was still alive in Yugoslavia. And I, since I had been there the year before, the first assistant director of the film the year before was the Yugoslav production manager for Kelly's Heroes. So he said, when you get to the coast, I've got a great little house for you to stay in. Wonderful. So one day I walk out and there was there was two houses on the beach. Both obviously, if you were a party member, you got to stay there. And Clint lived in one, and I had the other one. And I'm sure he never figured out how the hell did he get that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what stays with me from that movie? That wonderful theme song, "Burning Bridges." Burning Bridges. Oh, I I this this is a weird thing that happened to me if, about a few months ago. I was on some radio show, and we were talking about old TV, and someone said, oh, who's that actor? I can't think of his name. Uh, he was he, he was always good at leering. And I immediately... <laughs> <laughs> I immediately screamed out, oh, Stuart Margolin! Because <laughs> <laughs> on shows like Love American Style, you had that dirty leer... Yeah, no, you I, didn't have to say a word. <laughs> yeah, I'd worked on that a long time. It's old, I think. <laughs> well, let's talk just a little bit. We're going all over the place, uh, Stuart. So forgive us. There's, there's, there's not a we, we, we don't have much of a chronology here. We just kind of go as things pop into our head. But Love American Style, I was telling Gilbert, was created by your brother. Absolutely, Arnold Margolin and his partner Jim Parker created Love American Style. Uh, and and over at uh, Paramount for ABC. Uh, I was getting ready to go to do Kelly's Heroes. And uh, I had done one little part. It's so weird. I did one little part of a guy, a drunk in jail, that bumped his head against some bars. I mean, it lasted like 10 seconds. So then I got ready to go and got a call and said, look, we're gonna do, we're doing this show, but we're going to do these little jokes in between. They're going to call them like blackouts. It was like vaudeville or burlesque or something. Silent movies too, yeah. Well, it was it was crazy. I was fortunately I was young enough. We'd go to the beach and shoot twenty two a day. Wow, seven days, <laughs> and uh, then they would show them for half a year. Then you go for another week and do twenty two a day. And I would, in some of those things, run dead run as fast as I could, <laughs> right from the beach to the trailer. Put in, do new hair, new costumes, of it, run back to the beach, and kind of, they were written, but you'd improvise whatever worked, you know. Uh, it was, it was I, I guess it was like burlesque is what it seemed like. I never did burlesque, but it seemed like constantly. So the leer was part of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm probably in a lot of trouble today. Yeah, it was, it was like the filthiest leer where it you, you didn't have to say a word. <laughs> well, they were bawdy, or it's like you were always playing like a, you know somebody tying a girl to a railroad track. No, or a, no. There was a lot, I met a lot of people say, no, my parents wouldn't let me watch that show. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and 
Go ahead, Gil. Uh, no, they would always have, like, it was one of those shows, too, that would have so many guest stars. Right. Well, they had the regular segments that would last, I don't know, anywhere from 8 to 12 minutes. Maybe one would be that long. They'd probably show three of them. And then in between those shows, they do these little gags. They may do two in a row even sometimes. But that's what they were called. And so right before... I went over to Yugoslavia. I did like a week's worth. And when I came back, it was kind of a hit. So I continued to do uh, those, the, the gags, the blackouts. I think the first time I saw you was in, was in those blackouts. And I remember James Hampton, who played Dobbs yeah, on F Troop. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Was in him with you. And an actress, Phyllis Davis? Very, yes. Beautiful girl. Beautiful. Your brother created it. I want to talk just a little bit about Arnold for a second because Gilbert and I, you know, we do deep research on the show and the things that we okay. we uncover. And we, we, Gilbert and I are a little obsessed with a superhero show from the 60s called Mr. Terrific. <laughs> it was on opposite Captain Nice. Captain Nice. Yeah. They were Batman knockoffs when Batman was such a big hit in 66. Uh, but your brother, your brother wrote a handful of those. I had no idea. I'm learning from you. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. And and Frank tells me your brother wrote the theme song of Love American Style? Yes, right. He, he had a partner whose name escapes you right now. I think it's Charles uh, Fox. Yes, good show. Stuart, can you sing any of uh, Love American Style? Uh, not well. Well, God, I don't care. He's a he's a he's a composer. He's yeah. a musician. Yeah, I I I just want to hear it if you could. Maybe so. maybe the title itself. Love American style. I'm off key. I couldn't even do yeah. that. Brighter than the red, white, and blue. Who who? Love American style for me and you. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now back to the show. I believe Charles Fox, if I'm not getting this wrong, also wrote the Love Boat theme. I didn't know that. Wow. And you you directed a bunch of those. I did uh, about, yeah, I forget, I think three or four of them. Anyway, for sure. Did you direct? I, I think I acted in one, too. I think you did. Did you direct Uncle Milty? Do I have this right? Yes, I did, actually. And Steve Allen was in the same show, uh, in the same segment. I think Uncle it was Milty. called Gotcha. Man, you, you rem- you've got things I don't remember at all. <laughs> he was a practical joker, right? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what do we have here? Oh, wait a minute. Our engineer is calling something up here. What is that? Oh, oh the love boat. Oh, love boat theme. <laughs> very, very nice, Frank. Okay, now, 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 Stuart. By by law, on this show, I have to ask you: Have you ever seen Milton Berle's penis? No. 
<laughs> well, I've, I've heard about it. It's a legend. And I heard about it from Milton. But, uh... <laughs> Milton? What did Milton say to you about it? He made some comment once. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I didn't need him to tell me because it was legend. Uh, <laughs> I know that. The, the the night that I won the Emmy, the first time I won the Emmy, I came up, I got it, got off stage, and I guess they went to a break, and Milton Burr walked the front of the stage. He said, Stuart Margolden. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fun Love Boat episode, I have to say. And you directed another one with Will Gear. Yeah, that's right. I did. And also John Ritter was in one. I directed... Uh, at least a couple of scenes, I remember, because I had known John from before when he really got going. And so he was just starting to get the career really going when he did the the, uh, Love Boat. His name comes up a and lot also, on this show. speaking of Love Boat and Kelly's Heroes, uh, the, the captain. Oh, Gavin McLeod is in Kelly's oh, Heroes. Oh, wow. How could we forget? Captain yep. Steubing. Yeah, yeah. But you also work with Gavin when you directed the Mary Tyler Moore show. Right. I did. So there uh, you go. And and on the Mary Tyler Moore show, if I'm not mistaken, you once played a guy who's obsessed with Mary. Yes, I was her. I kind of drove her crazy. She, We had a few dates and she couldn't get away from me. I wouldn't let her get away from me. <laughs> and uh, I think the Lear was back in work again. but. <laughs> Being being around Mary, I kept it down. I held it down a little bit. I I remember that episode. I'm a Mary Tyler Moore. We had Ed Asner on this show, by the way. Oh, great! Who was, was just a wonderful guest for us. And I what I remember about that Mary Tyler Moore episode. And I'll just talk about the one you directed too in a second. But the one where you were Warren, the the oh. the, the boyfriend who wouldn't take no for an answer. Right. You 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 did a Don Adams impersonation in that episode. I did. I yeah. Didn't... <laughs> I played harmonica. I remember doing that. Yeah, yeah. But that's... Uh... And the one you directed, and Gil knows this yeah. episode too, the one where Lou and Mary go to Washington and he's right. trying to impress her. Oh, with yeah. How many people he knows in D.C. And they, yes. they're in a hotel room and it ends with Betty Ford on the phone and Mary when doesn't... I, when I originally got the call, it was going to be the president. It was going to be President Ford. So President Ford's going to be in your segment, and I got scared. I thought, "Why me? What what happened?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then it turned out uh, that it was his wife that did the show. That, that's a, that's a fun episode. Yeah, that was. It was a good script. All of those scripts were good. Great writers, Brooks and Brooks and Burns. And Burns, yeah. And, and I remember uh, the episode of Mash. Once again, your Lear came in. Which, when he was the shrink or when he was the plastic surgeon? Yeah, the plastic surgeon, because they said uh, they they were promising you a girl. And they didn't have one, but they said, if there's a girl who's going to have sex with somebody, this guy will find them. <laughs> yeah. Hot lips. I jumped her in her room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then you, you and Alan Alda, is this true that you guys hadn't seen each other in a number of years until you did 30 Rock together? Right. Yeah, it'd been a long time. Been a long time. He's a nice man. One, one of the finest people I've met in L.A. 
Boy, we could go all over the place here. I'm looking at my card, Stuart. You've done so much. And you are on. It's so funny. So many people that you worked with have been on our podcast. We had two of the monkeys. Yeah, we had Mike Nesmith and um, and, uh, Mickey Mickey, Mickey Dolans were here. So you worked with the monkeys. Right. I acted in the monkeys. Uh, uh, It was a lot of fun. and I remember, well, I I saw I came in when they first made that pilot, and Bert Schneider and uh, his partner that Bob, produced Bob Rafelson. Thank you, my mind. They were showing it to people like, do you want to write for or whatever? And uh, Nesmith and Mickey were clearly, I mean, uh, the young English guy was a great singer, Davy Jones. Yeah, Davy, but. Mike Nesmith had wonderful timing and personality and everything. It was great. Yeah, you so played an extra doing? terrific. What's he doing? Is he writing songs? or? I, I heard he was directing, and they still go out on the road. We, wow. we grabbed him at a nostalgia convention in New Jersey, and we kind of uh, <laughs> we, we, we kind of went up to his room and uh, and hijacked him. Oh. But he, would, he gave us a great episode. Nice. Nice. Yeah, and I'm looking at this card, and so so many fun things on here uh, that we have to ask you about, Stuart. Uh, in addition to Mash, in addition to the Monkees, uh, a show that Gilbert and I, and I know we're, we're jogging your memory here. It's been 40 years. <laughs> yeah, a show Gilbert and I talk about, Land of the Giants. Yes, well, I remember so little of that. Uh, <laughs> I think you played well, a robot. I, I, there you go. That's probably why I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really remember much about that a week after I finished it. I just. And thank you for reminding me. I played a robot because I kept wondering why don't I remember anything about that show? But. <laughs> and our engineer is bringing up the theme song for Land of the Giants. He's trying to jog your memory. What was the Englishman that played the lead? Oh gosh. Oh, Land of the Giants. I remember Gary Conway, I think. No, no, no. no. There was, uh, 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 at the time, he seemed elderly to me, but uh, he was English. Hmm. He affected an English accent all his career, one or the other. And uh, he was one of the leads. I feel like most of the scenes I played were with him. we'll We'll have to have our researcher, Paul, find that. Paul, can you dig that out? English guy on St- Land Stewart's of the Giants. Stuart's wondering what, who the English actor was on Land of the Giants. Or he had done a lot of Shakespeare. He may have been from, you know, Mississippi, but it, he sounded like he was English. What about the Partridge family? You played Snake, the motorcyclist. I, and yet another guest on our show, uh, Danny Bonaducci. Oh, wow. Yeah, great. Yeah, I had a wonderful time with all of them. And uh, it was a part originally Rob Reiner had created. The, uh, the biker. Oh kind of. yeah. And then when they uh, they were gonna there was a wedding. I don't. I think I was the groom or something. I, I rode in on a bike and uh, Rob was either already doing all in the family or something. So I got cast and I did a couple of segments of that. And uh, Shirley was wonderful and and uh, uh, all those kids were great. And was Danny and they, crazy back then? Yeah. <laughs> little but crazy and and david cassidy he was at the height of his like pop sex symbols oh the status. teen idol thing yeah. yeah 
Right. Well, he was just growing into that, and his brother, uh, uh, Sean. Sean Cassidy was actually a pretty big star at that point. And and I had known their father from New York when I really first Oh, Ted Cassidy. Oh, no, Jack. Uh, no, Jack, Jack Cassidy. Jack Cass- Ted Cassidy was Adam's family. That's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and Jack was, uh, I'll take you back, he did a show called Shangri-La, which at the time was the most expensive flop on Broadway. but uh, <laughs> I remember him in the Super... Wasn't he in the Superman musical on Broadway? Jack oh, Cassidy? Sounds right. The one that was written by, yeah. by the Bonnie and Clyde guys? Yes. Oh, we okay. oh, we oh. have an answer to your English actor. Land of the Giants. Yes. Okay, now, so I got the whole cast up here. Is Gary Conway the guy you're looking no, for? No, he was American. No. Okay, Don Marshall. Also American. Don Matheson. And... Uh, the occasional woman, Stefan Arngrim. And no, Kurt, no, it was a guy. Kurt Kasnar. Kate Kasnar? Kurt, Kurt Kasnar? Kurt no. Kasnar. No, I know Kurt That's the whole cast that I've got here. I wonder what, well, maybe it was one of those first names you mentioned. Like I say, it was just a guy oh, that yeah. worked with uh, an English accent. A hundred years ago. Yeah. So let's ask you, we'll get it out of the way. Let's ask you about Lanigan's <laughs> rabbi. Since it- <laughs> yes, with, with Art Carney. Well, it's... It was, uh, you know, I read those books and I thought, oh, this is very exciting. And we did the show and uh, I was pleased. I I kind of, in a way, I felt like at the time I was playing myself more than I had in any other part. I thought, I'm not going to go for any weird character, just, you know, play the thing. And then uh, it, it ended and we saw it and people, yeah, they're going to do more. And I thought, it's weird. Me and Art Carney and nothing's funny, you know. Something's wrong. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Art, be funnier. Art Carney was like the chief of police. Police. And you were his best friend, a rabbi. Yeah, kind of, kind of, again, you know, kind of getting in his turf all the time and he being very patient with me. Uh, but uh, so I made some suggestions to uh, uh, Mr. Stern, Leonard Stern, about if it's possible to be what we could do maybe perhaps to be funnier since you've got Art Carney, you know, <laughs> me. and uh, then they replaced me. Right, <laughs> right, with the immortal Bruce Solomon. <laughs> so that was, uh, but I, I I enjoyed doing it. I love working with Art Carney. Yep. And, would, oh, and, 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 oh, yeah, tell us what Art Carney was like to work with. Well, he, you know, he wasn't, uh, I remembered him from, way way back when the from the honeymooner days from the beginning because that's what I watched with my folks and uh and also the oh the movie Tonto and I or what was it what? oh the Mazursky movie yeah, yeah. oh uh, yeah yeah Harry and Tonto yes so good in that and uh so that's you know it was for me it was just a pleasure to be able to talk to him and hear about you know what it was like in the day and what he had been doing and he was he was very open about all that, and I loved that. And, and oh, and Frank mentioned to me uh, something we're both interested in, and yeah. that's the fact you were in the movie Sob. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Blake with Britain, the great Blake Edwards. Yeah, used yeah. you a couple of times in yeah. the in the scene where Julie Andrews shows her breasts. Yes, I'm <laughs> on set, as I recall, uh, or else I fantasized it. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have to leer at all. You know? <laughs> I, 
just came naturally. Yeah, she's a beautiful woman and a beautiful figure. And I always say that was my first screen kiss with Richard Mulligan. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, a couple of things. First of all, tell us about Richard Mulligan, and then we want to ask you about, about Blake Edwards. Because well, you, you, you did a fine mess with Richard Mulligan, too. Right, right. Well, Richard and I hung out together for a while. Uh, I had known uh, his first wife, Joan Hackett. and she was Oh, really, sure. Yeah. She had a big career. Yeah, and uh, she's a terrific lady. And she had introduced me to Richard years before. And then we just uh, we kept bumping into each other, and uh, we hung around together. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. And uh, so it was great fun to be able to work with him all the time. I don't think a lot of people know that his brother, Robert Mulligan, was the director of To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, jeez. And some other good films. Yeah, 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 some other really good films. Yeah. No, no no one ever puts that together. His dad was a cop, as I recall. They were real New York kids. And I believe Richard's dad was a cop. And uh, he didn't talk about his brother too much, just that. Yeah, my brother directs films. <laughs> good, good films. Good. Yeah. And uh, also another guest we had on the show, Howie Mandel. Oh, yeah, Howie and uh, Ted Danson. And you guys did a fine mess. Right, right, right. And it was, it was interesting. Um, Blake, when we started that film, as I recall, I know he was, he was weak. Uh, and he wasn't all that well, and I think there were some questions whether he should do it. And I think what was what was that called? The kissing disease? What was that thing? Mononucleosis. Uh, he had mono mm-hmm. when we started, and uh, so you, he got over it real quick. But I always think that he was really under a heavy burden during that period of time, physically, uh, trying to get the energy that came so naturally for him, like an SOB, was my only other experience, uh, where he was like, he had a thousand ideas every second, you know. Uh, You had some nice moments in SOB, too. You have that nice scene after Julie is kind of traumatized, Julie Andrews' character is kind of traumatized and she takes to bed. Right. You guys have that nice scene together, and, and you have some really funny moments with the Asian chef. Oh, right, right. Uh, it was actually the restaurant owner. Right. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, no, can't think of his name. Yeah, the restaurant in Beverly Hills forever. Was it Mr. Chow? Uh, no, no. No. Uh, it, was, it was even older than that, more famous oh. than that, from back in the 30s maybe even. We, we love Blake Edwards on this show. We've talked about The Great Race and, and right. m- many of his other movies. We talk about great films. Oh, yeah. Memories. And it's and great. speak about a reason to leer. You were in class <laughs> with Jacqueline Bissett. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a one-track mind, Yes. Stuart. No, no, I can, I can dig it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was stunning, stunningly beautiful. And uh, all those kids were new then, you know. Rob Lowe? Right now. Andrew McCarthy, uh, John Cusack. I don't think anybody had seen those kids until that movie. Uh, and and uh, he was the director. Oh, Virginia the, Madsen, I think, is in oh, there. Is she in that? I think so. Wow. I didn't have any scenes with her. She uh, shows her breasts in the movie, so I remembered. You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
he, I mean, he would never uh, kid about a thing like that. Seat, no. no, that's something <laughs> important to me. <laughs> um, oh, no. So I'm going to have I'm going to ask my wife a question here. Louis, Louis Carlino was the director. Oh, Louis. Ch- yeah, the guy. Yeah. A great writer. A great writer. Yeah. And uh, I've gone blank on I think his name. He, he made that movie Resurrection, one with, uh, I, mm-hmm. think, I want to say uh, Louise Fletcher. Or some, was it Louise Fletcher? Or maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was Ellen Burstyn. I think it was. I think it was. And I think the great Santini. Yeah, that was uh, his script. Right. And he directed it, too. That's right. He did direct. But there's some other scripts that he wrote he didn't direct. There was really top-notch stuff. And uh, he was a wonderful person. Uh, he may still be a wonderful person. I haven't talked to yeah, him. Yeah, I wonder if he's around. <laughs> well, we how I, after that film, a few years after that film, for, I lived for about 22 years uh, on, a, on an island up in British Columbia. And uh, Louie got a place on another island up there, and we'd go see him or he'd come see us. Um, and it was fun. You know that movie, Gilbert, The Great Santini. Oh, with, yes, uh, Robert Duvall. Michael O'Keefe. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. good picture. Good yeah. write, Good writer. Yeah, really good. Wrote some plays, too. But with, yeah, yeah. Well, this this is a perfect segue for us, Stuart. Did you, and I'm curious about this, did you start as a playwright? I know you you wrote some plays. I know that's kind of how you got involved with uh, with those music guys. Uh, <laughs> with Smokey Roberts and Murray McLeod and those guys. Well, I went to high school with Murray uh-huh. in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, and uh, we graduated together. We were in the same class. And then years later, uh, I'd written a one act and Smokey was in it. And uh, he said, hey, you ought to come by our offices. Uh, McLeod, who you went to high school with, and I, they were writing songs. And I thought, oh, this. So it was... Uh, I hung around at their offices for a long time, and you know that led to them writing. What do you think of these lyrics? You know, and the, so it was it was a tremendous time because it was like mid '60s, '64, '65, '66, '67, and the music business, as I remember then, I done theater and I done film, and that was just exciting. Everybody knows, but that period right in there. 65 to 69 maybe something like that what the 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 real creative excitement in the world from my point of view and from i think a lot of people's point of view was what's the newest song what's on the radio this week whether it's the beatles or dylan or the stones or that had much more uh, currency than than the films mm-hmm. in that in that specific period it was all about Who's doing what? Well, there was a, there was a hit song called "Sunshine Girl," right? That, that those was, guys did. Uh, the, what they they called themselves the Parade. Was that the name the of the group? Parade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was Murray and Smokey and a guy named Jerry Riopel. Mm-hmm. Later, Jerry and I continued to write together for years, and we were still real good friends. He lives out in Phoenix. Yeah, I did. I found a little. Uh, I found some stuff on him. He's had a prolific career. Yeah, no, he's been, he's been around from early days of rock and roll, and uh, he had a big, it was one of those curious things, he had a huge hit album 
in, I'm going to guess, 69 or 70. And in Arizona, it was the number one album for like five months in the midst of everybody else that you can imagine putting out albums. And uh, he continues to play there, you know, continues to have crowds come see him. Yeah, I found his videos online. Now, Gilbert will find this interesting because this is fun trivia about you. And we had Paul Williams on the show. Ah! Yeah. I've got a part for Paul. Next time you see him, tell him. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We will for sure. A sweet guy. Yeah. But there's another connection. You know, we've done so many of these shows. We've done 110 of them or something like that now. And I was saying to my wife last night, it's interesting how many of the guests start to intersect. Oh, my God, yes. I can imagine. And Roger Nichols, who wrote We've Only Just Begun with Paul. Right. And I think the Rainbow Connection, if I'm not mistaken, if I have the right co-writer. Yes, uh, Roger, you mean? Yeah, Roger Nichols. Yeah, yeah. and so he was, and you were, you wrote something with Roger Nichols. No, I never did. did he you was, you no. guys are credited on the co-credited on the song "I Can See Only You." Oh, you may have written the bridge of that. Okay, <laughs> but really, I think of you know he and Murray McLeod and Murray's sister had a group. Oh, I'm not going to be able to think of their name. Uh, it was real soft rock, kind of like the Carpenters, kind of. And they were on A&M Records. Uh, circle of Friends. A small something. circle of friends, I think. Uh, right, that small circle of friends. And so it was through that that uh, we have... Is this ringing a bell, Stuart? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know that that's Roger to change those chords like that. <laughs> there you go. That's great. Thank you, yeah. Frankie. Thank you, Frank. <laughs> that's Frank, our engineer. And yeah. and we haven't even touched upon the Rockford Files. Well, uh, obviously goes back. Jim and I had done... Oh, I want to go back to remember I said I did a little like 20 second bit once on on Love American Style when they maybe the second show they ever did. They were just starting in it. And I played a drunk in a jail cell. Right. Yeah. So I go in. I said, you have a meeting with Jim Garner and he's doing a series called Nichols over at Warner Brothers. And uh, so I walk in the office and he points. There's that guy. He he had seen that little bit where I bumped my, the drunk that bumps his head against the bars. And, uh, that's how I met Jim. And then I ended up playing his deputy on Nichols, which is, a, I think a really good show. Uh, Frank Pierce, Pearson was the head writer. Another good Luke, writer. Yeah. Dog day afternoon. Sure. Cool. And Luke, uh, uh, and he was a head writer and we had all kinds of, great directors that were kind of somewhat starting out at that time. And it was a wonderful show. <laughs> and it was, uh, the sponsor was Chevrolet. And I'll never forget, there there was the story, I heard it from Jim, that the the, the couple, the, the president of, of uh, Chevrolet and his wife came to the network and they said, this show's been on the week, this show's been on the air five weeks and the sheriff's taken five bribes every week. They didn't. Like <laughs> that was a good show, Nichols. I think it was. Uh-huh. It was only one season. Do you remember Nichols? Yeah. Gilmer. He vaguely. Stewart played yeah. the deputy. Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder was, was in it. Oh, really yeah. good show. Was, yeah, yeah. And uh, 
Oh, God. A bunch of wonderful people in it. Uh, so anyway, that it lasted one year, went off the air. So about a year after it was off the air, I got a call from them and said, we're, we're, think, we're talking about doing a new show, uh, and it's called uh, The Rockford Files. And uh, Steve Cannell wrote this two-hour uh, pilot script, and uh, I did that, and they sold it. And I, You know, I only acted in five a year. That, that was the answering machine <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> of every Rockford file. Oh, there it is. Yeah, the Rockford files would always start off with like some funny answering machine message. Jim left a message. Or, I mean, people leave a message for Jim. Right, right, right. But uh, as I'm sure you know, to talk about great writers, Cannell was uh, in his heyday. The second writer behind him was David Chase, who went on to do The Sopranos. Wow. Uh, Juanita Bartlett was on the staff, and she went on and did three or four series. It was terrific writers, terrific writers. But uh, I was just starting to direct then, and I I went to Jim, and Mita Rosenberg was the executive producer, and I said... uh, I'm, I'm hoping to direct some, so maybe I wouldn't be in every week. And they said, whenever you want to, just let us know. It, it was the kind of thing that no one would has ever done. I mean, one time they said, well, we're going to shoot something in September with Angel. Okay. And then August rolled around, and I had a chance. I was rewriting a script on a movie that was going to Macau in China, Hong Kong and Macau. And I called and said, is there any chance? They said, yeah, when you get back, call us, and then we'll do that show. Well, that was, that's unheard of and, kindness. And, yeah, yeah, sounds it. I, I, I heard that um, James Garner talked about how he was, like, always getting beaten up in every episode of The Rockford Files, and he had, like, Basically, like sports injuries, his knees would have to be operated on. Well, and, I, he did. You know, he, he he some of the injuries were old. He he played football at Oklahoma, which is curious enough. He was on the same team with Dennis Weaver. At, at <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's so cool! Another, right. another guy you worked with, by the way. Right, they were on the same team. Then he went to Korea, and as he said. He got shot in the ass running south. (laughs) (laughs) He got a purple heart for that. And then, you know, all those movies he would do. He was early days doing his stunts and everything. So by the time Rockford came around and they found it was a great audience pleaser to see your hero get beaten up every week. Well, obviously he didn't really get beaten up, but even in faking falls or faking this, he, you know, he hurt himself. And then one, one show, he stepped. He was coming down some staircase somewhere on the back lot at Universal, and he tripped and he took a really nasty fall, and the knees took it, and uh, he hurt. You know, he hurt. I, I find it's great trivia that you got that part in, kind, kind of indirectly from Love American Style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Never knew that. <laughs> but it's weird little, weird little thing. You know, somebody sees it and. Uh, Next thing you know, you're heading in another direction. Do I have this right, too, Stuart, that you were reluctant to get tied down to a series? 
to get uh, to, to get tied down to a to a regular series at that time. You said you, uh, there well, were things you uh, wanted to do. Well, that that was at the beginning of Rockford. I was starting to direct, and uh, I was just fortunate to be uh, talking to Jim and Mita, who let me do right what I wanted to do. And they said, "When you're available, call us, and we'll put Angel in." So uh, it was a dream gig that way, you know. Was, and I've heard I've heard you say you knew guys like Angel too. You knew you knew those kind of street hustlers. Yeah, in Dallas, they were called character. <laughs> hustlers, you know, uh, but I'm, you know, everybody knows them, uh, you know, and all over. <laughs> what was James Garner like? Well, he was, I've said it so many times, but I'll say it again and then I'll go from there. No one treated me better with the exception of my father than Jim did. I, I couldn't express all the the wonderful things he did for me and just the friend that he was for me uh, and a lot of uh, over a long period of time and his wife Lois uh, we got to fortunately toward the when we started doing the two hour Rockfords kind of in the mid 90s uh, we had a wonderful trip we all took together went up to uh, I was living up in the uh, off the coast and uh, we met in Vancouver and we all took the train up to um, Jasper and played golf and drove around. And it was great. We had fun. Yeah, you, you worked with him so many times and I want to recommend to our listeners too uh, a TV movie you directed called uh, The Glitter Dome oh. for HBO, uh, which I watched again last night. I remembered seeing it the first time. It's very very good and, and uh, Lithgow and, and Garner, uh, James Garner, give great performances. Yeah, they were wonderful together, I thought. And that had a wonderful last. John Marley. Yeah, the legend. I was going to tell Gilbert. I think it's John Marley's last appearance. Wow. Yeah. yeah Jack yeah. Waltz. Oh, yes, yes. And you have another Godfather connection, Stuart, which I'll get to later. But I wanted, I also want to recommend, uh, the. what is it called? The Long Summer of George Adams. Right. Uh, right. With, with uh, And I believe you mentioned Joan Hackett before. That's right, Joan Hackett. Another terrific Joe. movie. Thank you. I'm proud of that film. Uh, it was from a novel that Jim had always loved and bought the rights to. And they, you know, no one would make it as a feature. It was kind of soft for a feature. So they did it as a TV movie. And uh, I had the privilege of directing it. And I, I, shot I, it in East Texas. I think even for all of the uh, the kudos and the the credit that he gets in, in his career, I, I still I, I still think in some ways he's underrated. I agree with you. I don't think, you know, people, because he's so at ease with whatever he does, that they go, oh, well, he's just being himself or something. But uh, he had a great, great voice, uh, just an endearing. If you heard the voice, people knew who that was, or if they didn't even identify it immediately, it was kindly to them. They felt good about whoever that was talking. And... Uh, Great comic timing, obviously. Great comic timing. And movie, I, I think of movies like Murphy's Romance and the Americanization of Emily. And also Victor Victoria. And Victor Victoria. And, wonderful in that. And the, and the support your local sheriff and support your local yeah. gunfighter or a and, hoot. And wasn't he the one who said, beef, it's what's for dinner? I, I believe he was. Yes. <laughs> I don't remember that. I think yeah. he did. A, I think he did a series of, but but you know, an underrated actor, and he could do drama. 
Yeah. You know, and he could do comedy at, uh, effortlessly, and I, I, I don't, I don't hear him getting quite enough credit. No, they be. I, I think that. I mean, who knows what? But uh, I think that it all came. He did, His work was so effortless that people don't take it as seriously as they could. I mean, even you go back to you know his other great attribute is as the rebel. Like, he he quit Warner Brothers and got the he got the old you'll never work in this town again uh, from Warner's and uh, he went no one would touch him for a while he went back he did uh, he did some Broadway went on the road with the Mr uh, not Mr Roberts uh, came mutiny uh-huh. uh huh and then uh, he was in Sayonara I don't know if you remember he became good friends with Brando. He was Brando's buddy, the young officer in Cyanora. He was wonderful. What, what was the what was that story? He that he, that he he walked away from a contract? Well, yeah, he was like in his fourth year of Maverick, making a fast five hundred dollars a week, and uh, they couldn't kick it up. And uh, there was something in the contract, which this is a good story, and I'm going to forget. So help, hopefully, somebody in your Offices there will know that he ha- he got an attorney and they found something in the contract that had been breached by Warner Brothers. Don't ask me what it was, but the attorney whose name also escapes me found it and they used that to get out of the contract. And that was when you'll never work again. Now for Jim, it was you'll never work again. For that attorney, he was hired by Warner Brothers and later ran Warner Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I never knew that story. Did you, Gil? No. I'm trying to think of the attorney's name. He's quite a guy. He climbed Everest and... uh, Wow. He he was, he ran Warners for a while. Not Burt Fields. No, no. (laughs) Now, now I have to get back to another show Uh that you had a chance to leer on, and that would be (laughs) you acted with Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. No, I directed her. You directed, you directed yeah. Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. Yeah, I, I had to do my leering from behind camera. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone ever told you you were famous for leering until today's no, no, story? No, never, 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 never. <laughs> uh, and, and I may go back to it. I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> and you did a TV movie. The the ballad. Oh yeah, of, that's a very well. Yeah, he wrote oh, it. He wrote script, it. Yeah. Now, what what strikes me about that movie is people have compared it to Burt Lancaster's The Swimmer, which is a favorite movie of mine. That's weird. Why? Yeah, I think it's something. I, I think it's something about the style. Oh, oh, oh. And the the, the song the, the theme song keeps repeating itself. You know, I have to say, I watched it. I had seen it way back in the day, and a couple of things about it. Lee Majors is terrific in the part. Yeah, yeah. And all good actors. I mean, yeah. Pat Hingle, who's a favorite oh, of ours. Wow, yeah, he was sensational. Shows up. And, oh, tell forehead. us, tell us about Pat Hingle. I always liked him. Well, I always loved him. So that was the first time I ever met him, and uh, fortunately, he really liked the part. And outside of meeting him and watching him play the scene and just thinking like, yes, perfect, you know. Uh, he was uh, quite the gentleman. You know, he'd had some terrible accident. Well, I uh, know he was missing a, a pinky, I think. I, I don't know yeah. what exactly, but some kind of elevator shaft or some weird 
thing. I, there was a story I heard. I, I never, certainly never discussed it with him. But um, Agnes Moorhead played Joey Heatherton's mother. Yep. And uh, Jimmy Lee Dean. Ma- Jimmy Dean played Lee Major's boss, and the one of the Righteous Brothers, uh, the the shorter of the two. I think it's Bobby Hatfield. Bobby Hatfield played his buddy. Right. It's an eclectic cast. Yeah, and was, you, oh, you you forgot yeah. Marvin Gaye. Well, no, I, I can tell you that my my finest moment in life, as I look back over all the years, I I was I wrote the script, and Aaron uh, Spelling was partnered with Danny Thomas at the time, uh, and they were just starting movies of the week, and so it was I think it was the second one made, and. Uh, and so I was supposed to be an associate producer, which basically meant stay away from everything. <laughs> don't, don't go on the set. Don't go. Don't do it. So I was like, what can I do? He said, well, why don't you do some casting for it? Great. Well, what about this character that he had been in Vietnam with, you know, the African-American guy that at the end of the film is the last friend he has left. And he goes to see him. I said, okay, so. <laughs> uh, Aaron said, "Okay, here's the uh, William Morris casting book. It's got to come from William Morris." Okay, all right. So I'm going through, and I see, well, Marvin Gaye. I said, maybe I can meet him. You know, I don't know if he wants that. <laughs> so anyway, he took the part, and we met. I was right. I was songwriting then over at A and M on uh, La Brea, and. Uh, he uh, shared the office with Murray McLeod and Jerry Riopel, and Marvin Gaye came over to kind of go over the dialogue to see what would be the most natural for him, how to say it. And so we worked on this, on the dialogue, and then everybody kind of split, and it was Marvin and I were there, and uh, he sat down and played the piano and sang, and I sat on the floor, my head against the wall, and I thought it is never going to get any better than this. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> never, it it's never a it's better. a good movie too. And oh yeah, thank it's, you. It's it's a little like coming home. Well, it was uh, at the time, as I recall, they said it was the first film about Vietnam, and how it came about is pretty organic. In that, uh, you remember, I wrote it in sixty seven, sixty eight. And I was on the hanging around on the strip, and if you remember '68 in LA, the strip was just haywire, man. It was crazy, people all over the place. And I saw two Marines walking down, just strutting down the street, who clearly had not been in the United States for a few years. And some of the kids and the people were—they weren't making fun of them, but it, they were oddball. They stuck out like crazy in the midst of what was going on in the strip and that's what prompted the script i thought these are two guys that left this country before the revolution <laughs> took place here and came back and uh, it was a different country they came back to yeah i think you captured it i think you ca- you captured the feeling and it's just it's a heartbreaking ending yeah and yeah. and you were in an episode of bewitched right Right. And now, was this with the original Darren, Dick York? I think I did two of them because I worked with both the original and uh, the actor that replaced the original. Yeah, Dick Sargent. Dick Sargent. Dick Sargent, yeah. Now, Dick York, I heard, had uh, health problems for a while. That I don't know. Well, at the very end, he did. 
I, I don't know. I'll tell I you just, another. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying I, I say that only because I remember there were two different guys played that part on the two times I did the show. You know, the, uh, one one more thing that's interesting about uh, about Andy Crocker is that one of uh, our favorite actors shows up, uh, Peter Haskell from Bracken's oh, World. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Forgot about him. He was her new, her husband or or her fiance, I think. The, yeah, he's one of the well the, the the girl he meets when he goes to the party. Right, that's right. He's that, one of the hippies that that kicks him out that doesn't want his kind there. And he steals his bike, I think. Yeah, he, it, stole, it, he it, took the triumph from. It's very well made. Yeah, yeah it was uh, it was an exciting time for me to see it made. It's good. And as as we want, what do we got here? Uh, as we wind down, Stuart, I want to ask you just a couple of more things about your music career. Because Gilbert will appreciate this, and and I was saying I was alluding to a Godfather connection before. Do I have this right that Al Martino, who played Johnny Fontaine, covered one of your songs? Uh, yeah, there was it was. Uh, oh God! I uh, think it's I can see only you. Oh, I was thinking so. We got covered. Uh, we wrote a song with a couple other guys called Day After Day, which was from uh, it was like a calypso. Day after day, more people come to L.A. Shh, don't tell anybody. The whole place slipping away. We were we make we stepped <laughs> out to write a song. We said, "There's too many people in L.A. Let's drive people away." From- <laughs> <laughs> so, so, true, that's true. So we re- recorded this song, and by the time I think it was 1969, the day that it hit the you know radio stations was the beginning of an 11 day rain back in 69 and there were earth slides and all kinds of and this and the song went to number one in la and california went to 20 in the country uh it was all that and i remember because uh uh i think at, at some point some of the executives at a&m who were involved in real estate were not thrilled with the fact that they had a hit song that was saying move from la <laughs> <laughs> did, did you write music too for uh, this is again this is uh, internet research so forgive me if it's faulty did you write music for the the, the John Aston movie Evil Roy Slade yes I oh wrote, wow well I wrote one the, the theme song uh, Evil Evil uh, it's one of my favorite lyrics Evil Roy Slade made fun of old people <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a movie, by the way. That uh, John Aston and Mickey Ro- Mickey Rooney, Jerry Bells and Gary Marshall. That's right. That's yeah. right. And uh, we had a great fun. You, there was oh, what's Dick? Uh, oh man, he played the kind of the cowboy hero. He's a wonderful comedian. Oh, Dick Sean. Dick Sean, right. And his entrance, we couldn't figure, what do we do here? Because he was so wild looking. <laughs> he was all in white and everything. And uh, we wrote like a Beach Boy song for a Western. I, know, I, I was real proud of that. I mean, I mean, with the same kind of harmonies and everything. Uh, it was a pretty funny entrance. You know that movie, don't you, Gil? Oh, Evil yeah. Roy Slade yeah. and everybody and their brother turns up in it. We got to get John Aston on this show. We're, we're, we're chasing him. Yeah. And, and Say hello to him, too. We will if we get him. And do, do, I, do I have this right, too? Gilbert will appreciate this, that one of your songs was covered by Gary Lewis. 
Jerry, oh, wow. Jerry Lewis's son? Uh, I don't know about that. That's what they have. That's what they have you down for on Gary that. Lewis and the Playboys. They said that your songs were covered by Gary Lewis and R. B. Greaves, who was famous for "Take a Letter, oh. Maria." Oh my right. God! Yes. <laughs> well, that song that I just uh, uh, day after day, the Calypso that went to, that was done on TV by of all weird people, Donovan, and uh, wow, and uh, <laughs> Diane Ross did it one night. Uh, uh, on a show that got covered in that time period where uh, it was number one in LA. So, so you joined after the, the, the parade had Sunshine Girl as a hit, you joined the band. Yeah, I was actually with them before that. I see. Uh, in fact, uh, the B side, I think, of that song was one of mine uh, with them. You know, uh, I would either write with Murray or Smokey or Jerry or the four of us or two of us. Or Smokey Roberts is an interesting character, and, and Gilbert will appreciate the fact that he was in the original Planet of the Apes. Oh, great. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. He lives in, is he in Arkansas now, I think? I don't know. But Nashville, what? one or the other. It's the last I heard. What an interesting group of characters. Yeah. Murray's still around. Uh, Murray's married to Stephanie Edwards, who always does the Rose Parade. Yeah, as for years. Yeah, he's he's in a lot of stuff. Murray yeah. McLeod. Yeah, he was doing a, a lot of acting then himself. Some big John Wayne film. I forget the name of. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I also want to tell our listeners as we as we wind down, I want to tell them to to look for you and Griffin Dunn in this terrific independent film called The Discoverers. Thank you. Yeah, and he's wonderful in it. I mean, he's really, really funny. In it. And the the girl that plays his daughter is also. The whole cast is good. He uh, uh, Stewart, because Gilbert hasn't seen it. Stewart plays a uh, Lewis and Clark reenactor. Yeah, one of these guys that goes into <laughs> yes. the woods and tries. To, but but it's but he's mourning his his the loss of his wife, and it's it's a lot of a lot of shades to that performance, and it's it's funny and sad. I really liked it. Good, good. He's a he's a good director. Uh, the kid, I'm just going blank as I want to do. Is it Schwartz? I think <laughs> yes, yes. Now you were in another movie that Frank and I have discussed on this show a few times, The Big Bus. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's got a cast. R- written by Fred Freeman and Larry Cohen, who wrote uh, "Start the Revolution Without Me" and "Spies Like Us." And uh, uh, Big Bus, uh, I'm crazy about that. With Stockard Channing. Yeah, and Joseph Bologna. Joseph Bologna. Uh, and Richard Mulligan and Sally Kellerman. Yes. Uh, Rene Arbojonois. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get him for the show. And, uh, and uh, uh, God, uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Uh, oh, uh, Jose Ferrer. Jose Ferrer, who yeah. was in a, like an iron lung. And he always had a date with him in the Iron Lung. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you remember about uh, directing a show called The Texas Wheelers with an actor named Jack Elam? Well, I tell you what I remember. Because I was looking through the lens. I remember, I think it was, that may have been the second thing I ever directed. But, you know, I've obviously been around. And I was watching the kids play. And I looked and, and I was watching Gary Busey, who was new. I thought, man, this guy is really good. He can really act, and and he uh, 
you know, he, he should have had a different career than he's had because he was capable of big time work, you know, as he as he showed, you know, when he played Buddy Holly. But sure. Uh, he he had the stuff, you know. He was good. And That's you, what you, I remember. You directed one of Gill's favorite actors, too, Jack Warden. Oh, yeah, that was great. Oh, tell, tell like us about fox. What? Crazy Like a Fox. It was huh. Tell yeah. us about Jack Warden. I, I kind of worked with him twice, but we never had a scene together in the Problem Child movies. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, well, he. what I was fascinated to hear about is how he came out of the war, GI, GI Bill, and he, he went to work first at theater in Dallas and Fort Worth, which is obviously where I came from, and he worked at the, the little theaters there, and then he worked at some other uh, a little bigger theaters, and he worked his way to New York. So he came up through that odd circuit, which is... Uh, uh, local theaters around the country, which not a whole lot of people stay in. Usually people start in that and then they go to New York or they go to L.A. But Jack was with that a few years before he came to New York. And uh, so he, he, his chops were uh, in good shape. He's great humor, great, terrific actor. And I heard... Um... Well, right now he could do anything. And I heard Jack Elam was a war hero. I think. I don't. I don't know anything. Jack Elam. Yeah. Yeah. I think Is that's that right. right. Is that right? That was a short-lived show with Mark Hamill, Gary Busey, and Jack yeah. Elam. Right. Texas and, Wheelers. And tell us how Jose Ferrer was in person. <laughs> well, he was. Uh, uh, I'd have to tell this story, but uh, we were. I was his brother in the big bus. Mm-hmm. So I'd go talk to him. So one day, as I recall, it was it was either her birthday or Christmas Eve or something. He said, "You live. I lived on Beverly Glen. You live out that way. Can you take this?" And it was a present. It was wrapped up, a present. And I take this and drop it. He gave me the address, and just uh, just I said, "I'm going to say birthday because I guess that's what it was, Christmas." And uh, so I drove over to this house in Beverly Hills, and it was uh, Rosemary uh, Clooney. Was Clooney, yeah. and uh, I realized, oh man, <laughs> she didn't. Who are you? What is this? So, well, uh, Mr. Ferrar said to drop this off here. So I gave her her birthday present from uh, Jose. That's what I remember. <laughs> That's a nice story. <laughs> yeah. What are you working on? These we're going to wrap it up, Stuart. What are you working on now? I, I, do you have a project about Jack Ruby? Oh yeah, I do. I'll talk about. But right this minute, I'm in uh, doing uh, on Golden Pond. Wow! On stage. Cool. Uh, doing it with Gretchen Corbett, who was also in Rockford Files, played his uh, uh, attorney. I remember know? her. Blonde lady, and she came out. She lives in Portland, been doing rep for a few years. So she came out. We opened up last week and had a very good opening, and we've got a few more weeks to go. Um, I've written a film that's going to be made. I can't believe it. Yeah. Shot here. Uh, I can't tell you who the stars are. I was hoping I'd get a call before your call, but it'll probably be next. But a couple of superb actors and uh, a young director named Christopher Martini, 
uh, and it stars Max Martini as one of the stars, his older brother, who was in 13 Hours and uh, Pacific Rim and mm -hmm. uh, was in the series uh, uh, The Unit. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that's hopefully it will start shooting the end of September or the first week of October. And the Jack Ruby is a musical. But it's really, <laughs> a musical. <laughs> but it's really, it's not, I mean, Jack Ruby's in it. Right. But it's really about Candy Bar. Oh, it's about the, the carousel. Because uh... that's where I first learned to leer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? The, you, you, then, so you, were in, you were in the actual carousel in Dallas. Well, I was a kid then, you know, and but that sign would be out front, you know, with Candy in her outfit. And so anybody that was uh, over 11 years old, you know, kind of like she was the hottest thing going. And uh, I followed her career and I got to meet her finally in L.A. way back in probably the late 70s. Wow. Yeah, mid to late 70s. And uh, so it's about her story, which is a fantastic story. And Ruby discovered her. And they were always friends right up until a couple of weeks. She was in prison, and he visited her. And then uh, two weeks later, he went and killed Oswald. Right. And so the feds, all of them, you name a branch, they questioned her and questioned her. I was just going to ask she, you if she was questioned by the Warren Commission. But No. 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 And uh, anyway, don't get me going upon that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, she's a wonderful character, a wonderful uh, uh outrageous human being that uh, is part of Texas lore and uh, pretty crazy lady. You've so, done everything, Stuart. You've worked with everybody. Well, uh, a lot of good people. I know that. Uh, I'm looking forward to... Uh, I, I like writing now, and I hope I continue to do that. Well, we appreciate you, you your time. I, we appreciate I, you being a part of this. Thank you. We're trying to we're trying to piece together the the story of show business in the 20th century. Well, uh, toward the toward the end of it, I'm in there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for telling your story. We appreciate Thank it. And and I gotta ask you one dopey trivia question because uh -oh. I've seen the movie so many times. Can you tell us the? Because I remember this the the name. Of the gunslinger whose gun is in Death Wish at the gun club. The name of the, the, the mean the, who it had belonged to? Yes. No. Oh, okay. You tell God. Charles Bronson, well, this gun belonged to a gunslinger named Candy Dan. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's so you stumped Stuart Margulis. Yeah. Ken Dan, I don't... And I remember your scene when when Bronson's leaving for the airport and you go, are you going to check this? And he goes, yeah. And you put in this, like, little box. Oh, yeah, that I remember. And, and then when Bronson gets home, he opens it and there's, like, a, a cowboy gun. A weapon. Yeah. A weapon. Like I say, my my memory goes to that night when I went to see the premiere and uh, this famous critic was on the phone. <laughs> quoting him exactly. I'm taken out of every theater in the country. 
I love that. <laughs> you're you're also in one of my favorite movies in the world, and that's Days of Heaven. Yeah, that's one of my favorite movies, and that's the only, I would say, probably the only genius I ever met in my whole time that is Terry Malick. What was he like? I mean, he's 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 a legendary. Well, he was a recluse for years, and then he made a yeah. comeback. And he's uh, he was. Uh, He's, he's a brilliant mind. I mean, I don't know if you know the history of you study agriculture. And yeah, I know a little bit about economics him. Economics at Harvard and went to South America and worked for the government, and then came back and at the AFI, American Film Institute, and then made Badlands, which is. Which I love. My favorite films ever. And uh, uh, I saw that as screening. I thought, I've, I've got to meet this guy. And we met and hit it off. And uh, I had a wonderful time up in Alberta doing that movie. If you haven't seen that movie, Gilbert, it's a masterpiece yeah. with Richard yeah. Gere and Brooke Adams. To look at it is... Oh, yeah. and Nestor Almandros. Nestor Almandros, right. And Sam Shepard. Yeah, everything about it's great. And see, if, if, if our list, to our listeners, try to see it on a big screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, um, yeah. Okay, so we're going to... Thank you, Gilbert. Oh, wait. Oh, I just have to say the ending. Thank you, Stuart. Sure. And, uh, okay, I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we have been talking to the very obscenely leering. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a good actor. He was convincing. Really? Stuart Margolin. Acting naturally. <laughs> yes. And to our listeners, find the the, the ballad of uh, Andy Crocker and also um, the Discoverers. Thank you. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you, Stuart Margolin. A treat for us. Mm-hmm.